Welcome back to It Starts With You podcast with me, Mark Hopkins. In this episode, I get to chat to Robert Kenwood about retain recruitment and rebates and all the problems and all the issues that come around not doing or doing the things uh, around retained and rebates. Really interesting one. If you are looking to get into retained recruitment and how to stand out from the crowd, how to differentiate your service, listen to this. Robert is, in my opinion, one of the best guys doing this. And he proves it, and he makes a lot of money from what he does by doing what he says he does. Definitely worth a listen. I'll catch you on the flip side. Uh-huh. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm very well, Mark. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, who are you? What do you do? And why? That's <laughs> alarming. Uh, so, who? It sounds like the worst dating show ever, doesn't it? Um, it is. It is. Call, number one. Who are you? Where'd you come so, from? Oh yeah, God. That's showing your age, that's Mark. Uh, so, we. I'm an independent freelance recruiter now, uh, based down in Brighton. Uh, I recruit specifically into the live events, experiential and MICE sector, MICE meaning meetings, intensives, conferences and events. Yeah. Um, it was industry I was in for six and a half years at senior director and board level. And before that, I was a Howe Street recruiter for sort of nine years. Wow. Um, and yeah, so now I'm a freelancer working on a retained basis on senior level roles in that sector. Wow, gosh. And I know you're quite a busy guy in this sector as well. Is, is it a really, really busy sector or is it just, is it, does it have its moments of, of, of silence or how does it work in your sector? It does have its moments of silence, like everything, but it's usually, because my approach is a little bit different with the whole retained model and the flexibility and the, and the rebate that we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, you know, my sort of roles are the 80,000 and above roles. Yeah. And clients, you know, they have to buy into you to assign that to you. And obviously on retained, I get, you know, a third up front before I even get going. So that's a sort of a new thing to get their head around. But I think the, the, the difficulty comes, you know, I'm known for when you come to me, your role will get placed, you know, and it's, it's sort of what I'm getting known for is, is don't go to Robert unless it's signed off, unless you're ready to have that person. And signing off eighty to a hundred thousand pounds, that's quite a tough, you know, you've got to really be in the right space. So sometimes I've got I'm looking at four on my board at the moment, I've got all the job descriptions. Yeah. But because I do bespoke profiles, so I will brief the can uh, brief the client, I actually write job descriptions and all the profiles. Sometimes they sort of put it off a little bit, although I've been paid my retainer already, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they sort of put it off a bit because they're like, right, as soon as Robert gets going, we're going to have to start thinking how we're going to get this MD or this exec creative director or this VP of sales into our business. And then, you know, it all kicks off suddenly. So, you know, my business model is, you know, if I'm doing 12 to 15 a year, Mark, I'm over the moon with that. I don't want to be a millionaire. It's very much around my family and my, my lifestyle for me. We talked about this a few months back, didn't we? Well, what, why we started our businesses. We're not setting out to become Richard Branson or, or even, um, dare I say, James Kahn. Um, well, what we set out to do is have a stability and a quality of life, didn't we, um, when, when we did ours. But, um, it, it's, uh, talk about retained a little bit, if you don't mind. I, I, I don't do as much retained as you. I, I mean, I, I think I, I touch upon one a year. I wish I could do more. My sector seems to be very anti-retained at the moment. Um, how, how are you finding the retained market in your sector? Is it quite, is it welcomed with rope and arms or is this the only method? Go on, go on, tell us a little bit about that because someone that works 100% retained, I, I, I honestly, I, bow, I, I go to your feet and kiss it. <laughs> I think that's an absolute brilliant so like when I first set up, obviously you know Mitch Sullivan. I met I met Mitch, and I I you know I'm a big fan of retained, but I, how it's sold at the moment, you know, when I met Mitch and went through what I did, he was basically saying to me, well, you know, you are actually doing a different service. And so you know, I don't think you know Martin Ellis. He's my mentor. Yeah, him. Martin's a lovely guy. Absolutely. So he guy. helped me hone that, you know, and and the difficulty with retained is. You have this whole retained snobbery around all contingency and scum, you know, you all back alley recruitment fillers, and then you have all the contingency recruiters saying, 
oh, you retained in your ivory tower, think that, you know, you can get away with charging 50%, which I don't, you know. My fees are 20% mark. I'm not, not, you know, they're not cheap, but they're no way expensive. Yeah. Um, but what happens is because of the process I go through on retained, it is a different approach to it. Yeah. So you'll have people saying we work retained, but then they provide a contingency service model. Yes. You know, bang an advert out there get the CVs in, spend 10 minutes on the phone and then submit those CVs and then they'll call that recruitment yeah. and wonder why they don't get retained assignments because they're not doing anything different. And it, it's an absolute... I was out of the industry, as I said, for six odd years and we didn't have a great reputation at that time and that was deserved. You know, that was proper back in you, the, yeah. the day, ringing the cowbell. <laughs> oh, I, know. Sort of I saw a video on LinkedIn yesterday, someone ringing the bell. Oh, Jesus. But I think what's happened since then is there's so many people, and the gig economy's been great, but the problem is now you get people with a mobile and a laptop and they call themselves a recruiter because they've got LinkedIn professional or LinkedIn recruiter. Yeah. And they're not doing anything different. And if you're, if you're only doing the same that a client could actually do, you know, with, if they could just stop for a few hours then how, A, can you justify your fee, and B, how can you always have a recruiter? 100%, mate, 100%. And, and that's the one thing that people don't get with the power of social media. Yes, you might be able to find someone. Now go and find 20 other people the same through that one network and how you mm. network through that one person. Or now go and find a company and, and map that company and see who works for that company and, and, and everyone's on social media. So how do you get that one person? And you start defining your cost then when you start going down those processes. And um, I, I, sadly, I do that for contingency work as well. So I need to really think about that from my perspective. But we've it's had like, this conversation. We've had, well, yeah. do, do you remember that old wife's tale about that, you know, that multi-million pound ship that was in for fitting out and everybody tried to fix it and they called in all the experts and everybody, you know, and then they got this guy in the bidding industry 20 years. He came in, spent 10 minutes, hit it with a hammer and it started. That's it. That's and he charged 10 grand and everyone was like, you can't charge 10 grand for 10 minutes work. And he's like, it's taken me 20 odd years yes. to be able to do that in that period of time. And that's what I do. You know, I, it takes me three to four weeks to get a short list. It takes the client two to three weeks to interview their side. And I tell clients that within six weeks, I guarantee that wow. they'll be offering, yeah. you know, you can't guarantee style because obviously... Yeah, no, just periods and politics. The weird thing we, we do now, and this will really piss the retaining recruiters off, is I say to people, if after six weeks you're not happy, I'll give you your retainer back. See, that's powerful. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. You know, it's like, no matter how great we are, everybody blames the recruiter. You know that. Even clients that I've filled assignments for, I know that when it comes to the, the P&L, they're going to sit there and go, oh, look at that money we had to pay him. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was a great job and they loved the placement and it was you know we, but that's that the value of a retained job is is you know the, the client needs to have a return to it and if it, if they're not getting the return there's got to be um a safety net for the client at the same time and, and and that's what you're providing the amount of jobs i've had off engineering companies where a big boy recruiter has charged them 10 grand up front and they've failed after six months to find one person. They've given me six the job. Months. Yeah, six months. They've given me the job. And within a week, normally because I've got someone in my network that could do this particular, not electronics engineers, the top end kind of the scale that's quite hard to find. Um, so so they, 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 I find someone within a week and then they look at me and go, Jesus Christ, how come you can find someone but these big boys can't? I, I don't know. I can't answer that. But I think a lot of agencies are going after the retained, getting that first deposit, and then laying back and thinking, ah, oh, there we go, I've got the money now. I've hit my target for this month. It's, I think it's more the approach, though. The, could be. And I've seen this yeah. with, you know, you're an independent too. You know, and every, every time I talk to people, they're like, oh, you're going to get to start. You know, I've had the companies offer me money to invest, to, to basically just shut me down. I've had all of that. But that sort of freelance approach, that gig economy approach, that big company you were talking about, you know, that just goes on a whiteboard. Yeah. There's a role. In it. And if we have someone that applies or you happen to know someone, give me a shout. Whereas I'll, I'll only work with, sort of, I can't do more than a couple of roles, say three or four roles at a time as a max, because my whole focus is on that client. You know, that's it. You, as a freelancer, I'm their PR, you know, I write the jobs, I do the first stage interviewing. 
Yeah. So I bespoke interview, you know, I behavioral profile, I do the select. So not just am I using my network, but I'm actually taking the time to focus on that role. So almost my job actually isn't to fill the vacancy in a weird way. My job is to say, here is a short list of the best people you can find yeah. that I can find and my whole network can find. And now you decide if they're right for you. And if they're right, fantastic, I get paid. <laughs> there we go, isn't it? And that's what it's about at the end of the day, is, is making sure that you get to that end day, you know, that last invoice charged. Before we kind of, I was, I was going to say, I don't want to kind of dwell too much on retained recruitment because there's, no, so no. Much, there's so much we could talk about it. But there's the one thing I think that people get stuck with retained recruitment, which might turn into a two-hour conversation, <laughs> is selling it. What, what are you finding is, the, I guess, the best tip to sell retained recruitment to a client? It's a difficult one, isn't it? No, no, not for me, but I can I can see the difficulty. For, the thing is with me, and again, I know this sounds wanky, Mark, but hand on heart, when someone says to me, what do you do? Do you have a USP? Do you do a point of difference? I can go through it yeah. and prove it. I can say, I do this. Do other recruiters do that? No, I do this. No, I do this. No, I do. If you're selling retained and it's exactly the same service, there's no That's, added value, yeah. there's nothing you're doing different to a contingency model or even... A competitor in the retained market why would a client pay you up front you know they i wouldn't pay you up front if you weren't telling me you were doing something different if you if you said to me you know it's like a house painter isn't it you know yeah. here's some houses i painted i did them in six weeks i've had no problems i don't get in your hair right and they go through this whole list but you've got to give me a third up front i'd be like okay yeah because you've proven it but if you just went look mate pay me a third up front before I start work and I do the same as everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, the, that's probably the best methodology of selling a retained is, is making sure, first of all, it has a value that's better yeah. than everything else on the marketplace. <laughs> and making sure that value isn't, we know the market really well. We get to know our clients, our candidates trust us and all that bollocks that people spiel out which has been going since I first put my shiny blue suit on back in the bloody 90s or whatever it was. Oh, God. Have you been in recruitment that long? I didn't know that, Robert. I didn't know that. Well, if you think of it's 19 now. I've been in this business four years, so that's, say, 16, 15. And I was at, in the events for six and a half years. So where are we now? Wow. And then, yeah, 10 years in the so back end of the 90s. Wow. The glory the, the glory. glory. Yeah, the golden years, as Greg Savage calls it. The golden years of recruitment. <laughs> I, I, I caught the end of the golden years of recruitment because I came into it 2005. Um, and then the recession hit in 2009, 2010. And I think since then, recruitment's changed in such a way that the old school methodology, I think it's, it's, it's not, well, it might work for some people, but from my perspective, I think it's just, it just makes us look absolute shit. Do you know what? I completely disagree with you. Do you really? Okay. I absolutely. What, what I've found, my approach is, and I, I say this so many times, you know, recruitment isn't hard. It's really hard work and very easy to get wrong. You know, all I do differently is I have an approach to my recruitment, which is if I was paying someone to do recruitment for me, what would I want them to do? And then I just do it. So that old school approach of, I do a bloody good job every single time against the new approach, which is it's all social, it's all tech, it's all fluid, it's all bang, bang, bang. It's like, well, that is one side of recruitment. But if the job you're doing is not, let's, you know, you said the word old school. If the job you're doing is not high touch, soft touch, adding value, making the client realize that you are taking that heavy lifting away, you are saving. I've had clients go on holiday you know, saying like, brilliant, I know I can go away and when I get back, I've got the shortlist to look at. That's, you know, that's old school. That's saying, I just do a really good job. And I know what you're saying. I'm not saying millennials or Gen Z. No, I, I, what, when I say old school, I'm, I'm talking about, I think what, what you do is very similar to what I do. I take, a, I take all the methodologies that I know worked really well um, in the past and still do to this day. Um, obviously our methodologies were changed because it's different sectors but also I'm starting to adapt these newer methodologies as well where 
I personally think, and we're, we're going to go into the subject matter about seeing yeah. speckin in a second, but I personally think that all, that old school methodology of getting business in is, is the stupidest methodology now that we've got social media. When you used to spec a CV in of a candidate into a company, they you, you couldn't just quickly check on Facebook or on Twitter or on LinkedIn <laughs> for this person and then approach them direct. Back then, you, you had a massive safety net. Nobody knew him from Adam. Yeah. Um, so they had to go through that agency. So now you've got to be very protective about that. But I, I, I think CV specking is the most stupidest thing ever. Well, I've actually got a, a blog going out in a couple of weeks because in Ireland, I can't remember if it's Northern or Republic, but in Ireland it's legal to submit a candidate's CV without written consent. You really? can't do it. Oh, yeah, you will get in a lot of trouble. And I'm trying to work out how you can lobby. You know, like if you get a certain amount of signatures on something or lobbying. Like, can you imagine if we got that in the UK or, sorry, in England? It would be, you know, an, yeah. I think it might. How many companies would shut down, and how how our industry could gain could get some of its reputation back? Yeah, I agree with that. It could but be an addition. I do spec CVs, but I I will do it as a I'll do one a quarter, and it's you know with a senior candidate. You know, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure that if I can get them in front of the right people, because obviously you don't want to do work for free, and you don't want to waste a candidate's time. But I will go through again. I've created it with regards to I will only speak to people I've met. I won't send it to anyone I've never met, but I will send them an overview. So no name, no clients, just a very brief. My candidate and I will have had a, you know, an interview about what they're looking for. Yeah. I'll create a little 30-second pitch. I'll send that out to, say, 10 or 15 people that I think might be of interest. Yeah. And any one of my contacts that comes back and says, actually, Bob, I'll see this person's details. I'll go to the candidate and say, right, out of the 15, you know, agencies, so, 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 these are the ones that want to see details. Candidate goes and does some research, looks at all the brands, comes back and says, actually, those ones I'm not interested in, but these ones I'd like to introduce you to. Yeah. I get his written consent or her written consent, send over the CV to the client, they read through it, they meet for a coffee, and then we go from there if anything moves forward. That's how I spec it's very similar to how, how I spec. I always make sure that I check with the candidate that they're happy to go forward to various types of companies that we agree on. And then I'll approach those companies on their behalf. Um, and it will be a profile, very similar to yourself, a profile. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just come to back to the com- candidate saying, company X has come back to us. Do we like to, yeah, yeah. Do we like to meet you? I, I only do it to people I've met because I think, you, how, how can you really justify saying, Hey, agency, I've never, uh, sorry, because my clients are agencies within the live event space. Yeah, yeah. You know, how can you justifiably say, hey, hey, agency, who I've never met, don't know anything about your stakeholders, I've got somebody that I think is a really good match for you. Because <laughs> that's just bollocks, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you know nothing about us. How do you know that's a good match, Robert? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, whenever I meet clients, I had a couple of meetings yesterday, as you know, I've lost my bloody mobile in a London camp. Oh, no. Um, you know, I always say I keep in touch with you by by my by monthly newsletter, and if I come across anybody that like, I think would be of interest, are you happy for me to get in touch? And obviously they will say yeah, and they will say thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, and that, I I I get that as well. I get people when I have sit in front of a client, I say, look, if I come up across a couple of project engineers that might be good for you, would you like me to send them your way? Yeah, damn right. And you you suddenly you've got this. <laughs> Not an official job specification for another job, but you've got an official opening then to submit candidates that may come on the marketplace. Um, I also don't charge the same fee as well. I can't. I don't either. I reduce my fee as well. Yeah. I can't even bring myself to... It's scary how you and I think, you know. (laughs) Well, it's just quite incredible. It's me saying, look, I haven't done a full retained fitability search how the hell can i justify charging me the same amount now but obviously you know i also recognize it's again going back to that analogy you know i've got this guy because he's come he actually came to me via an old client that i placed that's uh, like a candidate i placed that became a client yeah so he's come to me like i hear you're great my client who i've met is because i've nurtured that relationship so yeah that that is a a fee-based system you should get paid for that but yeah not a full fee that's insane yeah, you got yeah, and and then it's differentiating your service then for people and why then your your value proposition for going down the the headhunting route for them or the the retained route for them 
is, yeah. is the value it is at. And then, you know, if you're then saying, look, I've, I've come up with this guy, um, would you like to meet them? And then they go, oh, I'm not paying 20% for that. Oh, no, no. It's it's this much because I didn't search for him for you. He, not landed on your lap. It's probably the wrong words to use because they don't normally land on our lap. No, but it's, it's easier <laughs> yeah. than going out and doing a full one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You're, but then that particular person might be identified and they may turn around and say to you, hey, can you find me four more people like that? And then it turns into something completely different then. Which is, uh, yeah. But you, so this blog that you're looking at, you want to lobby people, uh, lobby someone. I was trying to, to suggest um, this could be an addition to GDPR, um, especially if we leave um, the EU, we'd have to adapt GDPR in some way. People get confused that much. It's, it's not GDPR. GDPR is, is, I've given you my CV, don't send me spam. But if you look at any agency website, if you, it basically says something like, if you upload your CV, we can do what the hell we want with it. Yes, <laughs> yes no. It's the, around the, data protection. GDPR is, don't send me spam stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very good point. I think part of GDPR, it's all about um, data, basically, holding someone's data. And if you if you are not utilising their data correctly, then they want to know why you're not utilising their yeah, data correctly. That's, that's data protection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you would think... Well, it does come. It comes under data protection. If I upload my CV to you, Mark, yeah. or I send you my CV, the data protection should stop you sending that to whoever you deem fit. However, what recruiters do is on their website it will say, "We can do what the hell we want with your details once you send it to us." Yeah, and I think that then is like saying, like employing someone and saying you can't have any any lunch breaks or you can't have any leave because that's going against the statutory rights and i think that is almost the same as saying that isn't it you're going against someone's statutory rights and then you start spec i'm not a lawyer by the way <laughs> um, but then you start specking out their details i mean come on that's just it's, i think that's a mistrust then between yourself and the client and the candidate oh yeah but the thing is is what happens right is a, a recruitment agency a specs out candidate a to to 10 people by the time candidate a knows about it it's because the, the recruiter has said oh i've got a couple of people that want to speak to you so what happens is the candidate rather than going how dare you that's disgraceful you know you're, you're a stain on earth you're a waste of what they go oh i could have a possible job out of it so they let it slide yeah and the client instead of going Hey, 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 you know, what are you doing? This isn't the way to do business. Why are you sending us unsolicited sit? They go, oh, well, maybe, maybe, you know, fear of missing out, we, we should meet them. So what then happens is a placement occurs and the recruiter goes, I'm a recruiter. I have placed that candidate. And everybody then thinks, well, actually, the system works. But actually, the system is fundamentally broken. That is, that's focused on an outcome rather than, yeah, but how many... Think of all those other people you've sent the CVs to that you've upset. Think of all those clients that now think the recruiters are scum. Think of think of the candidate that no matter what happens, is still going to be like, oh yeah, they sent my details to ten other people, you know. But because the recruiter has made a placement and got a fee, yeah. they're online saying like, oh yeah, we're amazing. And it's just the whole industry, this recruitment is broken thing. I don't believe it's broken. But I believe the, the attitude of the people in it fundamentally needs to change. I, I, I agree. I think, I think in the most, most of the industry is actually doing very well and it's, it's changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. I think, it, I think what's changed it is that it's very visible now what we do, um, mm. and whereas in the past it wasn't as visible. And also we've got... Ground, yeah, exactly, exactly. And now we've got review sites. So agencies are kind of exposed a little bit because people are now publicly reviewing them. Not everyone, but some of them. So, so the, the, the really bad ones that are, are now getting reviewed yeah. on Glassdoor and places like that. So when you start giving the candidate... On your example there, I would say it's 2% to 5% of the marketplace where people will get that job. But it's a numbers game in recruitment. So yeah. that 2 5% yeah. is, is classed as success. But the 95% that's not successful, you've now just given a candidate's details to a company that may find that candidate interesting, but can't have that candidate because they've got to pay you a fee 
and their internal processes, they're already on PSLs or they're, they've, they're already in agreement with, with someone like yourself and or retained assignment. So, so this candidate now won't have a, a great opportunity because no. of the politics around that. And you've also uh, blocked them. So yes. say, for example, that client does have a live role or assigns a recruiter for a role, that candidate can't get that job now. Yeah. They can't apply directly because Scuzz Bucket Recruiter will be following them and will go, oh, that person that you've recruited four months later, I happen to send an email to HR support at, yeah. that's my candidate. Yeah. Candidate ownership. Ugh. Here's a quick story for you, Dan. This is a horrible story. Um, one, my client, and, and I'm the only recruiter he uses because of this situation that happened. A couple of years ago, they engaged with an agency to find them some sales guys. They went to the market and found them six sales guys. Agreed terms, and, um, and they interviewed the six guys, and they found none of them were right for them. They weren't experienced enough. Um, as some people may know, in terms of business, there's a non-engagement um, packed that you you can't engage with those candidates unless they go back through the agency for six months. Mm. Sometimes it's twelve months, but six months tends to be the industry norm. What this agency then cleverly did is kept sending the same six candidates every six months to that company for two years. In that time, their sales director um, moved on. And the new sales director started, but these emails were still going to the sales director's email address. And then they, uh, this new sales director started, engaged with one of those candidates. They looked at the terms of business from the past and went, "Oh, it's only been six. It's been over six months, so we're fine to engage in this client in this candidate without paying a fee to that agency." And then placed the candidate started with them, and then a couple of weeks later, they got an invoice from that agency. They took it to court and lost. But that would, I can't work out how that works because on the terms of terms of business, it should say from first, like from when we first um, submit, it shouldn't say, unless they didn't check it properly, but it's my terms of business say from, you know, when we submit our candidate six months from there, you can't yeah. look against that. That makes no sense. So they kept refreshing the ta- the candidates yeah, every six months. Sit there and say, "Oh, that seems like a decent recruitment practice." It, well, the judge apparently did say to to the managing director of the company um, that this this I do not agree with this practice. I think this practice is is very badly done, but because of the, the the terms of business that you have signed with that particular agency and the way they, they presented these candidates they you have sadly i have to award them the fee um so, obviously, so when they first signed them right at the beginning when you say they resubmitted every six months did they attach other terms of business correct that's exactly what then, they did yeah. but then that, that if they those terms of business aren't signed yeah. oh anyway god you could talk about it for, oh, no, i don't know i know should do this and i can't believe they don't do this legally is every single business that doesn't want to get a speculative client a speculative candidate you put it on your website and you put if you send us a cv without prior written uh, confirmation you know that that is now ours basically yeah and if somebody sends that in you can go thank you you just sent me a cv if you've got it on your website and it's all above board and it's, you know, like your privacy policy, your data protection. If you have a recruitment policy on there, you will knock that on the edit. It's like the old, um, remember TPS, Telephone Preference Service or whatever? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Just stick it on your website. We, we do not take speculative CVs without written consent. Otherwise, you know, we, we take response. They are ours. And there you go. There's, there's 70%. Actually, maybe we should do that instead of lobbying government. Just get people to put that on the website. Yeah, make everyone aware of it by sending it out on social media saying, put this on your website and it will protect you from speculatorial CVs from a legal stance. Do you know what? I'm going to do that as my next recruitment tip. <laughs> yeah. And I will steal that and send it to all my clients. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we, we were going to talk about rebates. I, did, I know we touched upon your rebate earlier on. Um, was was it something that, that you were thinking about that? No, it was because I, I put something on a few months ago, and I I do a six month hundred percent rebate, for example. Which, yes. You know, is a few. For, I had, and I was talking about something else, and happened to mention it like off the cuff in a. And the next thing I know, I've got 
recruiters all over me like how dare you do this like you you're you know you're terrible you're shoddy like really i have you know laying the boot in about the fact that i was doing six months i had somebody saying you know oh if, if your bd must be so poor if you have to offer this and i really felt like going back to him and saying what do you not understand for a start that you know what a usp means you know having something different as well but the high point of it i was saying was you know, we've been there, you know, four weeks at 100% rebate, then 75, then 50. Then that. For me, that is recruiters preparing to fail. There is no other way of getting around that. You are basically saying to a client, I don't trust the job I've done enough to guarantee my work. Yeah. So I have a lot of recruiters saying six months, like, you know, the client could be, you know, an asshole, the candidate could be this. So they're all coming up with these reasons why six months is too long. And I kept going back and saying, but if you've done a bespoke brief, if you've, you know, written a job description, written a profile, bespoke interview the candidate, had more than one quick conversation with them, actually met your client, you should be able to know that period. Now, obviously, mine's different. Um, I work senior placement, so, you know, six months is, is their probation. But say three months. Why, why can't every recruiter guarantee 100% rebate? For three months, and don't even get me started on free replacements. Oh, I, hate I mean, replacements. I, mean, I had somebody say that. Yeah. I was like, again, you are now proving that you didn't do a proper search the first time, and you'll try and basically find whoever you can when it goes tits up. So, that whole sort of rebate thing, you know, why doesn't the industry do 100% for three months? Now, anything over three months, or for me, six months, well, let's be honest, Mark, a poor hire is two years, isn't it? Yes. I say at senior level, I don't, I don't know about the other industry, but for me, if somebody leaves within two years, that's a poor hire. Anything up to six months, I feel that is my responsibility. I have liaison with candidate, liaison with the client, and match these people. And I've put my reputation on the line and said, you are the right match for each other. Now, after six months, yeah, I don't know. They could, they could end up in a relationship. They could end up fighting. They could end up moving. You know, anything can happen after six. You know, that's just life. But how can you not cover as a bare minimum a candidate's probationary period? Yeah. yeah. How can you call yourself a recruiter and not say, of course we'll cover the probation period? Because what you're basically saying is we're not sure they're going to last probation. Yeah. And how can, how do, I just, I, I cannot get my head around how clients go, oh, okay. That's like somebody, again, go back to the analogy of house. I'll build your house for you. Um, don't ask me if it's going to stand up for a bit. I'm not 100% sure. I think it might, but yeah. I'm not sure. You wouldn't do it, would you? But in recruitment, it's, that's what you're saying. I don't think they're going to pass probation. And yeah. I'm a fee-based commission model, so I want to protect my fee. With a so sliding I'm, scale of refund. <laughs> I, for me, the whole scaling rebate is an absolute stain on our industry. It's the worst thing that's out there. I really do. I think it's so poor. And the fact that clients, my, my wife's an HRD, for example, well, was before we got another baby during a couple of weeks, second month. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> but we, um, you know, she used to have this exact, you know, she had PSLs of like two agencies, but they were large, larger volume stuff. And then on yeah. their senior roles, she was like, well, why, what are you saying to me? So the same sort of thing. And of course, they're like, well, they all signed up to it. They didn't have a problem with it. And actually, it made them do the job better. Yes. I agree with you, the by the way. I do agree with you. I, oh, mean, if, I just cannot. But if, you, if you're thinking about raw cash in your bank, you don't actually physically see the cash in your bank in, in the first, let's say, 60 days. So that's two months you haven't, pay, you haven't been paid for them by the client in the contingency world, by the way. Anyway. Well, do it the other way then. So charge after take, three months. <laughs> no, take, change charge before. Yeah. So it's all about negotiation, isn't it? If you said to a client, so my terms of business, for example, one third on assignment, second on reconciliation, uh, second on completion of assignment. Not when they start, but when contracts have signed. Because my people can take three or six months notice before they start. And I'm yeah. a small business. Yeah. So that's me saying to a client, I can say to you, I do things differently. This is my charging model. Now, on a contingency or any other model, you charge X percent when the placement's filled, but when they start, right? Yeah. 
your negotiation straight away there is, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll give you three months, 100% rebate after they start, as long as you pay me when they sign the contract. Yeah, yeah. on offer, is that, is that what you're trying to say there? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, once you've offered my cl- uh, candidate, and once they've signed the contract, that's when I'd like to invoice, because if your payment terms are 14, 30 days, 60, whatever is out there, yeah. you're still not going to get paid for a month anyway. That's correct, yeah. That's what I'm trying to get to, yeah. So if if you're worried about a 100% rebate, you know, you're not... They don't get paid when you do your job. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Because your job does not start when that person starts. Sorry, your job does not finish when that person starts. Your job finishes when that person has at least done probation. Yeah. That that is when a recruiter's job is finished. Yeah, I agree. If, If you can't offer it because of fee, get paid up front then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, sorry, not upfront. As in, get paid when you've completed the assignment. You know. Yes. Look at it. As you know, when I started, I've only been retained for two years now, and you know, it is a big thing. It is a real tough thing. I, I literally was in a meeting yesterday. The the MD had to shoot out, um, and it was actually good timing because I'm trying to find my phone and I was getting very stressed about it. And then his CEO happened to come in and said, "Oh, Dan said to, to oh, sorry, edit that bit out, by the way." <laughs> um, I will. <laughs> the CEO came in and said, "All oh, the MDs told me to just come and have a chat with you." And he was like, "Oh, you're a recruiter." And he literally was like, "I can't stand recruiters. You're all this, that, and the other." And I sat there and let him go through it. I said, yeah. "You're absolutely right." I said, "And I'm going to ask you to pay me up front." And he just—he was like, "What are you talking about?" So when I went through this and I, and I explained it, he was just like, straight away bought into it. I, I said to him, I only work retained, I only do this, and this is what you get returned. And if you don't if you don't want to work with me, I absolutely get it. I'm not your guy. I don't do high volume recruitment. I do see it. And I think what recruiters do is they tend to try to be like they, they worry. and I did this year one, I'm not gonna lie, year one and two. Okay, I can do that because you see a fee flying out the window. Yeah. So recruiters don't sit there and go, I am bloody excellent at this. This and I, I do this now. I am absolutely top draw top three recruiters in the country in the world sort of thing you know that do yeah. what i do but that's because i'm very niche yeah you know and one of the roles they said was a sort of bdm at sort of 50 to sixty thousand. and you sit there and think oh, 50 to sixty thousand for my people everything i do that but actually i'm not actually very good at those roles do you know yeah. what? That's that was my first year as well, mate. I was I was trying to work out my you know what was it I was really doing. The second year, the, the epiphany for me was turning down jobs. That was my epiphany. So I was turning down certain jobs that that were just bogging me down, and I could never find people. Not because I wasn't I was lazy or anything like that, but just I just physically couldn't find people, and I wasn't very good at finding them. So I like exactly what you said. Picked and choose the jobs I wanted to work. Boy, I think it's, it's it's about saying this is what I'm a specialist in. And all right, you know, I must admit, I, I usually have two to four new client meetings a month, you know, prospect meetings a month. Now, all of those people are not going to use me, you know, yeah. not because they don't want to, but because they won't have a need. You know, I've got clients that use me within two months because it a role happens. I've got a client that one that I'm working with is their creative director. I met them nine months ago. You know, I don't know when it's going to happen, but the reason they come to me is because I say, when you have this type of seniority, when you need this type of approach, when it can't go wrong, you know, when you want this, call me. Yeah. And then I leave them, you know, leave them alone. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I'm very, again, it's very similar. I find also with, with some clients that as long as you're straight up and honest and, 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 and a real how can I put it a real person you're not a robot you're not trying to rip them off for every turn and you just talk to them like a mm. proper human being they actually come back to you many times over and over even though you haven't filled their jobs for them I know that sounds crazy but it's it's extraordinary how you just change the way the methodology that you approach them it's, it's quite extraordinary so yeah no, yeah absolutely um so I mean, I mean, coming back to that kind of that. So, when you put that on LinkedIn, that that debate about rebates, what was your initial gut feeling about the industry at that moment in time? Then was it was it is? Did you think it was just like, oh my fucking god, this is these these? And I was I was quite surprised at the the sort of ferocity of it, the ferocity. Sorry, they they were very sort of ferocity. Sorry, that's the word. 
they were very sort of personal you know they got very like yeah oh your your bd must be failing if you're having to do this or you know it's not the recruiter's responsibility quite quite a few people um, like in the states for example they don't have rebates they go the other way but you know do we really want to be like the americans in new york you know and their sort of higher fire culture yeah you know there was a lot about the recruiter's comments that really smacked to me of an industry that is desperately trying to cover its own arse. You know, they're just, they were quite sort of, how can you do this? It's not right. But of course the thing is now, you know, yes, it was a bit of um, me doing a bit of promotion because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we don't do this for free, do we? No. No, I don't love recruitment. The recruitment sector is just a cesspit, but I love what I do. I'm very clear that my role is, you know, it integrates into my life. You know, I think I said to you earlier, I look after my son on a Monday and have done for three years. Yeah. You know, and now he's at the age where we kayak, you know, and but then I log on at four and I work till nine because, you know, that's or four, till seven or whatever, because that's when candidates are around. So these people that were attacking me were basically part pissed off with like, well, hang on, how can this bloke do that? But then, of course, you try, It's it, you should never you know, try to convince a hater or, or somebody, should you use just a waste of oxygen? But I tried to sort of get across, you know, but what you, what you actually end up saying is the reason I can do this is because I actually do a really good job. And the reason you can't do this is because you're a scuzz bucket. <laughs> but, but that's the problem that you can't, you can't negotiate with a supercharged, super triggered um, recruiter in, in, the, in the environment of which they've, their belief has been to have this structured rebate process and then all of a sudden you're coming in and challenging them going well I do it like this and it works really well um, yeah that's, that's the thing you know I'm very conscious that I don't come across I can sometimes come across like I've got it all sorted you know I, I do my kayaking I have my golf but you know I work really hard and you know I, I earn I earn the money I've always wanted to earn but you know that we touched on I don't want to be a millionaire yeah. but it's taken me you know 16 years to get to that stage four years of that as my own business yeah. and the first 18 months I wouldn't I wouldn't put the first 18 months of my you search and select journey on anybody you know there's so many things I learned then that you know god it was this is it, isn't it? This is why a lot of people in that beginning stages, I, I, I see so many people come and go, start a business and disappear after six to 12 months. Um, and, and you're kind of like, that's the hard period. That's the bit you've got to learn. Mm. That's the, the, doesn't matter how long you've been in any industry, you really learn how to do your job in those first 12 months, for sure. But the thing is, you see these people and they're always the one that come on social they're always the ones, I don't mean to be rude, that they're, they're usually a lot younger. They haven't actually got a great deal of experience. You know, they've worked at Reed for a year. They've done resourcing at somewhere else for a year. I can set up on my own. And they come on LinkedIn or Twitter and they're all like, you know, you old people are this, or recruitment is this. Or they come on with this whole disrupt, this, this you know, we're here to change industry. And sometimes I'll go, well, that's great. You know, you see some of these disruption recruitment agencies and you think, that's fantastic. You know, is there anything I can learn from that? And then when you actually drill down, you're like, you don't do anything different apart from you've got a better social media strategy than others or a better marketing team. And that is what people don't want to hear, is it? No, and that's it. That's the only thing different. They've just, and they brought a pool table in or... <laughs> they've done something slightly slightly different to most other agencies but doesn't really affect the bottom line of what you deal with or how you find candidates for a client I, 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 suppose, I think i can be a bit stuck in the mud sort of you know like with all this um hinterburn and order and, and all this sort of video sales or video interviewing you know yeah. I, I, I sort of really get that technology and see how it could help. But then with that video interview, I, I said to one guy who was, I get spammed a lot. And I, I do try to reply and say, look, I've actually already spoken to one of your team. And I said, look, my, my ratio is if I speak to somebody on the phone and explain my product, they will meet me. 100%, one-to-one. If I get to meet them, there's only been two clients in four years that have said, actually, you're not for me. One of them was an ex-recruiter who, you know, when you walk into a meeting and you're like, we are not going to get on. Yeah and, the, yeah, yeah. and the other one was just like, I don't actually like this because I do a lot. You know, I think I do that, even though she didn't. But there's only two companies that have said, I don't want to work with you, basically. 
So that, that sort of ratio, you're like, right, if I could scale that, that's my problem. Show me tech look and help me scale that. Show me tech look and get more eyes on my brand. But yeah. video interviewing, I say to a client, I am interviewing on your behalf. I, I do a bespoke hour and a half interview, suite of questions designed to pull out information. Why am I then going to make you watch it? You know, <laughs> what's the point of me doing it in the first place? You I, might as well have done it. <laughs> I was just going to say that. That's the one part about that whole thing. I get I get video because I love video. I use video a lot for for mostly for marketing my business, my brand, and yeah, no. and and I think there is a market for that. But when you're interviewing candidates and when you're trying to develop um, a list of a short list of candidates, a, a 10, 15 minute interview is just te- you know if you've got six candidates, that's an hour that you've got to sit there and watch every single bloody candidate. When you can just read the interviewer notes and then read the candidate CV and then make a decision from there in thirty seconds. It, it just doesn't make sense to me personally. But this is the thing. I think you mentioned it on on LinkedIn a little earlier on, um, wasn't it? About adva- the, the technology that's around at this moment in time doesn't seem to be technology that actually does any more advancing. Is that is that what you're trying to get get to there? Yeah, it is. But it's also I, I do get fed up with like you know we can help you automate this. We can we that can speed it. up the process. We can replace. And you sit there and think. You know, I know I'm quite unusual in the fact that, well, not unusual, I think, I think you and I are very similar in the fact that I don't want to run a large-scale business again. You know, I was called an inspirational leader and a terrible manager. <laughs> and, I, you know, and that's hard to hear, but it's absolutely right. You know, I'm earning X amount now. If I got, say, two salespeople, operations, fine, say in an overhead, I'm going to have to earn... 10 times what I'm doing now just to stay still plus all the hassle of managing people my cat's died my you know son's broke his wrist I've got I can't come in and on days like you know I kayak on a Monday or do something you know that the office is sat there like bloody walks off kayaking again yeah so I don't want to do that now some people are quite negative about that they think I've either got no get up and go or that I don't want to yeah. And that's where you get into that thing of like, actually, this is my this is my week and you know, I'm earning double what I was in corporate land, but I'm doing a much better, smarter job. I work smarter because I've taken a lot of hard work to yes. formulate the smart approach. This is why I don't like calling myself an entrepreneur, because I, I am not an entrepreneur. Because if I was are, well solopreneur i heard someone use the other week i like that i like that i like that because if i was i would be hiring people on whims and 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 giving it a go and and wasting money i don't want to do that i like to when i make money i like to reinvest that back into my into me into my business into my family and and take it from there absolutely that's the thing is you know i don't i drive a bloody volvo you know i drive i've got a volvo i've got a roof box you know, I don't have a, a brand new Aston Martin or something like that. I live in a, a three-bedroom house that I rent because I spent all my house deposit supporting the business in year one. Yeah. You know, and I, w- I won't be able to afford to buy again for probably another three years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's it's that what does what does recruitment mean to you? How does it fit into your life? And what, what's important in your life? And if your life is all about money and you set up on your own, that is not a long-term business plan. You know, it's it's just not because you're just a another recruiter out there, and there are so many people doing recruitment, saying they do something different. And if you've got them all in a room and said, okay, you've got ten minutes, present not three things, not two things. One. I'd even say one thing. Yeah. What one thing are you going to say that no one else in this room is going to say? Oh, I do that. Yeah. yeah. And no one can do it. It's, it's, it is, it is, that's where it's got to with the industry, though. We're all just trying to repeat, repeat, repeat. People talk about Uberization of the industry. I don't think it's an Uberization that will happen to the industry that will challenge it. No. It'll be people more like you that will challenge the industry by doing um, one or two things different to everyone else. And that equals to success in, in your world. So you're not. I... Yeah, but I, thank you. It's very nice of you. But I personally think the industry will it will turn around because if you if you look at how how does a recruiter get an assignment at the moment, I would say 
80% of the time, a recruiter has proactively gone to a client and said, I want to be your recruiter, yeah? Yeah. Do you agree that that's usual? I want to be your recruiter, give me yeah. your role. It and they go, okay, methods. here's my role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cold calls, spam email. Yeah. Absolutely. I think if that turned around and it was up to clients to decide which recruiters they went to, that is going to turn the industry on its head. That, that if, if, if you said to a client, before you chose a recruiter, spend two hours choosing the recruiter, and whichever recruiter you take has got to pay you those two hours. I don't know, I'm making it up now, but you, know, you must go out and beauty parade or sense check, research your recruiter before you choose them. If, if clients did that, that would turn the industry upside down and on its head. Because yeah. that's them like, do you know do you know Mark Hopkins? Have you used him before? Let's have a look at his website, let's look at his social, let's look at his glass talk. let's look at him rather than oh Mark Hopkins has told us that he's bloody awesome, we're gonna believe that. Do you see what I mean? It's such a different approach that you've got to cover all the bases. It is. If you look at the RPO model, that's how they used to do. So if you wanted to go in and, and represent the council and that rpo was coming up there'd be a beauty parade there'd be seven or eight of, mm. of these companies presenting what yeah. they're going to do it's a bit it's almost like finding the next prime minister it will be it will be question after question after question and I'm then good. they will and, and they will challenge oh we heard you failed with worcestershire council why should you do warwickshire council and, it, and it'd be it'd be this this complete battle but we don't have that in the in the contingency agency world it's quick get that job out of agency and the job is half the job of what you would normally have what the actual job is if that makes sense you discover what the actual job is later on that's you know i think that's when you're an independent and i try to hide behind it first of all i try to be like we in the business you know we're always using that sort of term but actually what i found was like 50 percent of my business comes from the fact that it's me doing it if that makes sense yeah you know my my credibility in the sector my credibility in recruitment my background blah blah blah. if my product was crap then you know that's a different thing but when you're an independent freelancer you're basically you know that really wanky uh oh extension of your team you know i'm not an extension i am your team yeah you know i literally i come and work for you and two or three other clients and i do it's like a project work you know peace recruitment yeah i come and do the project properly and then i go you know and that's why when i do retail i'll sometimes go to you know i go and do the briefings obviously in their offices if they want me to i'll go and do the interviews in their offices yeah i copyright the job adverts i spend a lot of time on the front end of it meaning that when i get to the selection part i'm not wasting anybody's time because that you know that becomes the these are my people that i'm sure you know are going to get on that shortlist but people don't want to do it they just want to get a cv and candidates are the same the amount of times i i have a sort of orientation call and then i give someone an nda and then i tell them who the the agency is yeah. and only after they've gone away and done research that's when i give them the job description so i try to sort of make sure it's a brand match before it's a skills match because Gotcha. I know if it's I know if it's an initial skills match because that's you know what my job is, and you'd be surprised how many people just send me the job description. Well, why you know the job description is eighty percent or seventy percent what you're doing now. It's exactly the same seventy percent exactly the same what you're doing now. It's not going to be any different because that's the job you do. The twenty thirty forty percent difference is the brand you're going to be working for. So why aren't you researching the brand before you look at the job description? And I lose candidates. And in my head, I had this conversation with a client. They were like, well, what if we lose a candidate? I'm like, if you've got someone that is not interested in looking at your brands, do you really want that person in your business? They yeah. can't be bothered to take the time to look at your culture values, consumer brand, your employer brand, that, you know, take a real good look at you before they look at the job description, which, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to have someone that far down the line if I don't think they've got them actually to the job description anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, why would you want that person business? Because all they're going to do is come in and they'll leave. Leave within two years. That's, that's, yeah, exactly. Because they haven't, you know, they get there and they realise, actually, I don't really like this company or it's not in the right place. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. Whenever I, whenever I speak to candidates and I give them um, the, the, the job, well, we'll talk about the job, but then I give them the website to the company and then I'll ask them later on, did you look at the website? 
it's surprising the amount of candidates that haven't looked at the website just to see what the mm. company's doing. Um, and then they get caught out and found out then in an interview. Have you, have you looked at the website? What do you think of it? What's on the website? Uh, but then on the flip side of that, it's, you'd be surprised the amount of recruiters that haven't actually been into the client's offices. Don't get me started. Don't get me started on that one. I mean, one of the meetings I was at yesterday, I've not seen the client in about nine months. And again, you know, called me back in, wanted me to meet the new CEO. You know, one of his mates has come into the business and they've got a hire that they want to talk to me about. Went into the office and they've changed it all to this, you know, these standing desks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So the whole, and I mean the whole office is standing up. You know, 25 people in one room. And I sat and thought, this is really unnerving. I'm not sure if I'd like to work in that. You know, and they've got the stalls, you know, those big proper seats. But I sat and thought, I'm not sure whether this is an environment I would like to work in. But one thing it does do is now when you're speaking to a candidate, you're absolutely, when you walk in, the whole place is about six foot off the ground. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's, it's just weird that recruiters do not even, and, and clients will, not the uh, recruiter. Here's a job description. I'd like you to work on me, but I'd like to come in and meet you. No, no, work on a job description. Yeah. So, okay, sorry, I can't work on that. And clients will say, well, why not? Well, actually, you've now answered that twice. One, you can't be bothered. And two, you're not the sort of client that I want to work or place a candidate with if you can't be even asked to give me a proper brief. Yeah. You're just setting yourself up, to setting me up to fail. And also as well, when you're working through with another person within that company for that. So um, I know there's internal recruiters. That's a different part. That's a different matter. That's their job to know about that job and work with you on that job. That's different. But when you're working through an administrator or working through a HR person that doesn't know the answers to the questions, are you truly servicing that job properly? You, you need yeah. to be working directly with our hiring manager. And that's happened way too many times now. So you get the job spec from a company via an administrator, a PA, and then you ask questions, and then there's a, a gap of about two, three hours, two, three days <laughs> before you actually get, like, yeah, it's 35 grand. Well, Jesus, put that on the job spec then. But, you know what I mean? It's like you're having this conversation then over three or four days about the job and rather than, but they don't have time to meet you. And I will guarantee you one thing, I never fill those jobs. I never yeah. fill them. Because you don't know what they want. You have no idea what they want, really what they want, because you don't know what the offices look like, what they look like, how they work, how, how their attitudes. Just don't take them on. And, yeah. and I think, you know, we all make that mistake early in our career. We all do it of, you know, you sit in front of a client, BDMs especially, I have a real bee in my bonnet about that. You know, an agency that's never had a, a BD specialist says, right, oh, I'm going to get a BDM in. I'm going to pay them 50 to 60,000 pounds a year. And, you know, they're going to bring in your business. They're going to help grow the business. So straight away, I say, like, I'm not your guy. I can't help you. Because if you're paying, and this is where other recruiters maybe don't use their consultancy skills, because if you're paying, if you want to pay someone 50 to 60, who's going to hit the ground running, smash it, do it, you know, A, that's a phone monkey. And that's, you know, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't spend 50, 60,000, just get an agency to book your business. But B, if you want someone who's really good, they're already earning that now and more on bonus you know so do you, what you actually and, and what's your business strategy oh we want them to be part of that what you want a 50 to 60 grand bdm to walk into your business with no business strategy here and you're only paying them that much and you want all of the you know that phrase that purple unicorn or whatever. yes yeah and I, i've squirrel. turned around to yeah. purple squirrel and I, i've turned around to people and said look this is going to sound like i'm telling you just to spend more money because i want my fee increase but I'm going to say no to this. If you want a head of business development, you know, if you want, if you've not got a BD in place already, you have to have someone on a board or on a senior team to do that. I'm your guy for that. But even if they wanted to recruit four BDMs at fifty to sixty thousand, you know, it's a no from me. I'm out, unfortunately. Mm. And I think what happens is clients go. First of all, they're a bit like, oh well, you know, we know what we're doing, and then they take it away and go, oh, he's right. And they're happy to bring you up and go, you're absolutely right. Um, can, can you come and help us? Because at least we know you're honestly trying to help us rather than, oh, there's my fee. Let's go. This is the importance of being a consultative recruiter, really, isn't it? This is the ultimate point of it. Do you think, do you think then someone with, one, with six months experience that has slapped on the phones to go and do cold calling can do that at all? Oh, you're leading me down a garden path. Leading me down a path there, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, 
I try not to. <laughs> I'll answer it. In, I'll answer it two ways, right? Yeah. I I'm a, I call myself a specialist. Okay, I'm a specialist. If you cannot call yourself a specialist if you've not worked in the industry you recruit into. I agree. I will, I will argue with anyone, all these other people, that I've been a recruiter for 20 years, I know everything. If you've not worked in the industry you're recruiting, you, you cannot call yourself a specialist, point blank. In answer to your question there, six months, you know, that, that is a certain amount. If that recruitment consultant with six months experience was ringing up a client and, and saying, hi, client A, this is what we do, and I'm looking to get a visit with you to, to introduce my... And it, of course, there's nothing wrong with someone have only having six months as a recruiter. If that person's giving it the big, like, we're the this, we know this, we're, you know, if, it's, it's not. It's 50% that recruiter and 50% the business that they work for and how they approach things. And you put those two together. So that person might be the nicest person in the world. And, you know, I want people in the... I, 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 I really hope and believe that 90% of the industry is filled with actual decent human beings. You know, we've all got families, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, you know, yeah. they're nice people in it. It's just the approach to it. So I want people in the industry, new people coming in with a, and you know, we, we joked about the good old days. The good old days were you could come and earn five to 10 grand net a month if yes. you've never had recruitment experience. Yeah. You know, that is the, the good, bad old days. You know, if you've got recruiters coming in now saying, I want to get in there and change that industry. I want to help its reputation. I want to help clients. I want to get paid a lot of money because of what I'm doing rather than I want to get paid a lot of money by banging in fees. That's going to help the sector. You know, I, I'm all for competition. I, I want the whole sector to get better because let's be honest, that makes yours and my life easier. Like I said, this guy yesterday, you know, I toned down what he was saying, but he's come in with an absolute you lot are scummer, you know, and, and unfortunately you're sat there going, mate, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and that's I, embarrassing. Yeah, it's really it embarrassing. And I've been in those meetings before. I've been in them quite recently as well, where I've had 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the managing director of that company coming at me saying how absolute shit um, Agency X is because on every Wednesday at one o'clock, they have a call on every single phone in that bloody office from the same company, from the same agency. We all know what's going on there, don't we? Power hour yeah. has kicked off. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and these companies are, are seeing this happening. So now he's he went off and got his solicitor to work out a way to stop him from contacting How sad is that? Oh, okay. That's just terrible. That? I know, I know. But yeah, thank you, Robert, for this. No worries. There's a there's a lot there for people to digest. I think from a from a perspective of a, of a recruiter that wants to do B wants to do BD stack and wants to do more retained, I think there's there's a lot of information there. And and I think the biggest thing that you're trying to say there is basically be different. Don't do the same shit. Is basically what you're saying. Yeah, and and, and be you know understand what you do. Don't try and do everything. You know you do. You'll end up. Send it. People sort of think, well, if I only say I do that ten percent, then look at all that ninety percent I'm missing. Yeah. You know, rather than, but that ten percent is is twenty billion possibly. I'd rather have a bigger piece of that pie that I know I can do really well than try and do all of this. So it's that swan and up, you know, that swan analogy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that smarter, not harder. You know, it's keeping yeah. it steady. Don't don't be don't don't be a busy fool you know and yeah retained is is it's the hardest thing as well i'd say retained is harder than contingency if you think about it because with contingency a client so i've given it to you and three others and if you don't feel like they give a shit as long as somebody does yes with retained they're saying i believe in what you're saying you are the one to go and fill it that is a lot more pressure <laughs> that is no i agree with that i've actually turned down retained because there's too much pressure for me it's, it's too the, the deadlines are too tight I knew I couldn't do it, so I turned it down. But I did recommend someone to go after, and they loved that. Um, and yeah, and I, I agree with you on that one. I, th I think, and this is the, we talk about the good old days earlier on, and I talk about kind of like the old school methodologies, which is banging out numbers. Now it's smarter recruitment, smarter for, for processes. And I think that's the difference between the good old days and now. But yeah, seriously, mate, thank you very much for your time. No worries. Really, Thanks, really Mark. Always, always good to be uh 
to have a chat with you. I do enjoy our little uh, our little moments. Yeah, we have proper rants, don't we? Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> putting the world to right. It's because we think. I've said this before on LinkedIn. We think too too alike. You and I do. It's almost scary. Uh, <laughs> awesome, buddy. You take it easy. Speak to you again. Cheers, mate. Absolutely grateful for Robert for spending some time to talk about retained recruitment in this podcast. And you, what you don't realize is that this podcast was actually done over two parts because um, trying to get him to do a podcast, uh, he's an extremely busy guy. So that I was honestly, I'm so grateful for his insight, knowledge, and spending some time with me with this podcast. So thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you took away something from this one. And there is more podcasts like this coming very soon. I've got some great guests lined up. But if you want to be a guest as well on this podcast, then please reach out and talk to me. You know how it goes. It starts with you. Let's hear your story. Take care. Bye-bye.